Thank you, Rachel. Yeah, and I didn't, uh, I didn't want them to have all the fun. And so uh, our archery kids are actually going to join in the fun. And uh, the weekend of June 20, 21, 22, we're going to have what we're calling Aim for Water. And it's going to be kind of a, like a shoot-a-thon where the kids are getting pledges and we're going to be shooting over there in the gym and they're raising money to go to that project too. So awesome project. Hey, before uh, we get into the lesson, I wanted to uh, personally thank immensely those guys and gals who helped us. Um, but I wanted to show some pictures of this playset that uh, we got over the weekend. Um, you'll notice that the stage is like growing by leaps and bounds and things are happening. You notice outside that things are starting to be painted and uh, Dave Chambers and the gang are uh, hard at work making this uh, transitioning this campus three or four months from now with the paving in the parking lot and then the uh, it's going to be unrecognizable in a good way, in an awesome way. Well, part of that was this playset. Well, it used to be in Lifetime Fitness, and Gordon, who works there, found out that they wanted to get rid of that, and uh, they wanted to donate it. So this is piece of equipment was a, over a $100,000 piece of equipment. Think McDonald's Playland times two or three. It's ginormous, all right? And so uh, Thursday, uh, 10 or 12 of us went over, started work in the early afternoon, got done around midnight, took that down piece by piece, and moved it over here. And then in the next year, year and a half, two or whatever, as we transition that Grace Impact Center into a children's wing across the parking lot, we'll be able to hopefully put that thing back up the way, uh, who knows what it'll look like, you know, it'll be like all leaning this way or whatever, but uh, put it back the way. And so our kids here at Grace, Grace Chapel are just going to be like living large in this really cool place that so uh, tremendous opportunity. Yeah, thank you. And thank you so much to... Uh, the uh, guys and gals that helped. Well, um, for those of you who've heard me speak before, and if you haven't, you have to take all this tongue in cheek because it's just lighthearted. But every sermon that I do, uh, dating back years and years and years, has to include a Kevin, you're a moron story. And people who hear me often look forward to, I wonder when the Kevin and the you're a moron story is coming. And uh, so, but this, this, I, I promise you there'll be a couple, but I'm adding a Jeff, you're a moron story. Because as the cat's away, the, the mice shall play, right? So um, last week, he stood up here and then delivered part one of this sermon. And he was very particular to say over and over and over again, you must come back next week for part two. It's going to be awesome. You have to come back. And he gets all excited. And then three or four times, you have to come back for part two. It's going to be awesome next week. He's in Mexico. I was sitting back there against the wall and I'm thinking, OK, does he want me to do part two or did he forget or so? Anyway, if you want to hear part two, you're going to have to come next week for part two. OK, because I'm doing my own thing. All right. Well, this uh, we're in the midst of this series called Great Expectations. We're also at graduation Sunday and we all have graduation parties to go to. And, and the, our students have lived through final exams and testing and stuff for the last couple of weeks. And you as parents have said, hey, sorry about your luck. You have to take a test. Well, uh, we're going to celebrate that and kind of uh, live a little lightly this morning. And so you guys are going to have to take a test. So on your chair or on a chair nearby is a piece of paper. <clears throat> and that is today's Great Expectations pop quiz. Uh, you, have, you might have to look a row in front of you. It's a white piece of paper. They're scattered all around. And I want everyone, not most people, 
not everybody except me. Everyone needs to pick up that piece of paper and you're going to take your pop quiz for today. And uh, Jen and the gang are going to provide some lovely undertones of music while you take your pop quiz. So I'll give you like three minutes. Ready, set, go. All right. Thank you, Murph and the Magic Tones. <laughs> All they needed was some pink, pink frilly lace around some places. All right. Okay, so we're in the midst of this series called Great Expectations. And hopefully, if you've been here for the uh, one or part of the last four or five weeks, uh, you've understood the, the concept of this series, which is twofold. One is that there are times in our lives, as we walk through our Christian walks, there are times in which it is fully appropriate, it's encouraged, it's what God would want us to do in order to have, that, that we should have great, awesome expectations uh, for His work in us. Okay, and, and you may have noticed that I've capitalized all of the E's in expectations. We're talking grandiose expectations, okay? There are times in our lives which that is fully appropriate and very helpful. It helps us uh, go through our walk with Christ, okay? There are other times, though, on the other hand, that expectations are not so wise. Sometimes they set us up for failure or certainly disappointment. And so the, the point for today is, and what I hope to accomplish is, for us to kind of take a half time in Jeff's absence in this series and catch ourselves up, if you may have missed one or two of the last four or five weeks, and make sure we're all on the same page of what the difference of those two, uh, the, the differences are, and uh, make sure we all kind of understand, okay? And so we're just going to go through these questions and we're going to answer them. And uh, then I'm going to fill in a few blanks. Okay, so question number one, I can expect God to accomplish great things in my life. True or false? True. Big old fat. True. God does awesome things. We can expect we should expect with a capital E God to do incredibly awesome, miraculous things in our life. Um, I was very fortunate and I, I count, I'm, I'm not kidding here. I, I am extraordinarily fortunate and I thank the Lord every day, uh, for my upbringing, which was, um, the exception and not the rule in our culture. But I was brought up in a household <clears throat> that modeled this truth for me from the time I was born. Grew up with a mom and a dad whose marriage, uh, has lasted decades, going to last a long, long, long time until one or both of them die. It was a marriage where uh, honoring one another, a marriage that was full of God expectations, God-sized expectations, a marriage that uh, was very conflict-free, um, a marriage where there was a common vision and a common direction and working together as a team. And that was modeled for me and even our, my extended family and now my extended family in law through Kim's family. And that was, that's been an extraordinarily fortunate thing as gift to me because that allows Kim and me to have that same thing because it was modeled to us. When Jeff talked about this, and I think it might have been his first sermon, that we can expect God to do miraculous and awesome things in our life. You know, we, we, Kim and I were talking in the car one day soon after that, that you know, it dawned on me that I went into marriage as a young man with these enormous expectations 
of what this was going to be like. <clears throat> and I had absolutely no thought of, well, I hope this thing works out. I hope it, you know, we don't fight. I, I just hope it kind of is okay. I hope it lasts. None of that because I had these enormous expectations because what was modeled for me. And <clears throat> it's been God's gift to us that that has worked out for us. And hopefully that trickles down into our children as it's been modeled for them. In my ministry life, um, those pastors and lay people that have surrounded me in my many years of pastoring, the same thing has been modeled for me that God is worthy of putting our enormous expectations on the power of what he can accomplish. I've been involved over the years with many uh, discipleship kind of groups and, and men's groups and, and teen groups and kids groups. And I uh, have seen over and over and over and over and over again, infinitum, God's power to change lives, to turn lives upside down, to turn brokenness into into loveliness. And um, that's been modeled for me. And so I have absolutely I, I go into any ministry kind of situation, fully expecting God to do incredible, miraculous things. And uh, that's. In our culture, and many of you are like that, and I, I, can, I can look at faces and I know that many of you share that same uh, truth. I also can look at a few faces and know some stories and know that life has not been what it should have been for you. In our culture, that is, you know, what I was just describing is certainly the ex exception and certainly not the rule. Most of us in our 21st century American culture go through life expecting Failure, expecting marriages to break up, expecting relationships to have unreconcilable hardships, expecting things to fall apart, expecting my workplace to be terrible and icky. And so you may be sitting there going, you hear Jeff speak about that. You hear us answer this question. You're like, man, I don't I, I've never experienced that. It's hard given what life has thrown at me to be able to expect God to do those things because I just haven't seen it. And and I grieve and God grieves when that is true of you. He wants us to be at a place where he can work through us and we fully expect him to do powerful, miraculous things. There's a couple of suggestions I have that will help you to gain that in your life if you're lacking that or to move forward or even to exponentially grow that. Uh, that portion of your life, that expectation of God. Number one, and I think this is really important to uh, surround yourself, hang out with people who are great expectors. And I don't even know if that's a word or whether it ends in ER or OR, but there are people around you that you can find that are great expectors. You know, Jeff is a great expector. You know him. Uh, not not a thing comes by his his situation where he doesn't expect God to do great and powerful things. Jen, who leads us in worship every week and her and, and the worship band, these people are great expectors. As I've gotten to know her and them over the last few years, it doesn't matter what's going on in their life or what hardship or or whether it's easy or hard. She expects God to do great and awesome things. And that is a really, really uh, powerful trait that we, can, uh, that we can have. Number two, I can reasonably expect my family and friends then to fulfill all of my needs. True or false? 
Yeah, false. Again, big old fat false. All right. You know, we can certainly provide uh, many of our needs to each other, to our family, our spouses, our kids. But it is wrong, and you're setting yourself up for failure if you expect someone else to provide all of your needs. We just can't do it. We are fallen people. And if I expect another fallen person to fulfill all of my needs, I'm going to be sorely disappointed a good chunk of the time. I've been involved in a a men's ministry and women's ministry uh, for the last few years that uh, seeks to help people gain their heart back. And so uh, for men, it's, it's, it's a it's, it's a process of, of reconnecting my masculine heart that God created me with. For women, reconnecting your feminine heart that God created you on purpose for a purpose. And one of the main lessons that we kind of pound over and over and over again, it's a mantra that, that is kind of infiltrates all of those messages, is that God created us for a purpose, on purpose, in His image, and He created me to be loved by Him. And he created me to be fathered by him. The problem is when I rely on someone else, my earthly father, for instance, my earthly mother, my family, my friends, my children to father me. I'm expecting way too much from another human being, and I'm going to be sorely uh, uh, disappointed many, many times. We cannot expect our earthly friends and family to supply Every one of our needs. It's just not going to work. Number three, when it comes to fulfilling God's expectations for our future or fulfillment of God's expectations of our future, we should. And now we're getting down to multiple choice. I hate multiple choice, right? Okay, so when it comes to fulfillment of God's expectations that he has for my future, we should a well, let's just see what the day brings and and uh, pick the most convenient road we see. No, we shouldn't do that. B. Well, we should just listen to those around us who are not in God's in tune with God's promises. Okay, we certainly won't, don't want to do that, right? C. We should weigh the options of what we think God's doing, and and we should just choose the least challenging way because God wouldn't want us to be stretched in our perceived abilities. No, we don't want to do that. The correct answer then would be D. And here's the Kev, the first Kevin, you're a moron story. I want you to look closely at that. Uh, uh, question and look at how I spelled naysayers. I uh, was writing this and giving it to, to Adele to, to print up, and I, I could not figure out how to spell naysayers. And you know, in, in Word, and then the spell check comes up, the little red squiggly line that says, Hey, you did it wrong. And no matter how many times I tried, I could not figure it out. And so finally, I'm like, okay, I'm just going to keep typing until it does until the red line disappears and I'm going to go with it. Well, so uh, I was reviewing this with Kim last night and uh, she said, um, we're not horses. Uh, we're not going against our naysayers, which is how it's spelled. But anyway, D is the correct answer. Learn from Caleb, who we talked about last week. We need to go against those naysayers and claim God's promises, believing that he is faithful and he'll accomplish his plan through our obedience. Remember Caleb, the story of Caleb? He was one of those uh, group of guys that God sent into the promised land. Okay, you're here at the promised land. You guys go check it out. Report back. And uh, everybody except Caleb and one other guy reported back, all knees quivering. Oh, we can't do it. We can't do it. They're too big. It's too scary. But Caleb stepped up and he said, hey. 
It's scary. They're big. Don't care. It's God's promise. He's going to take care of us. Let's go for it. We cannot allow those naysayers to take God's uh, promises away from us. Here's um, you've heard of uh, people giving their testimonies. And in the church world, the testimony is your story about what's been going on in your life. Uh, My previous church before Grace Chapel was one that we uh, ministered to a lot of people who uh, were not traditional churchgoers. And so I use the word God stories to mean uh, the cinnamon to testimony. Here's why God stories are so important and so powerful. It's because they are your story. All right. If you're in a conversation or a debate with somebody about some theological thing or some historical thing, people can debate you and argue all day long about facts and figures. You know, Joe knows that knows that all day long. People can argue, 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 argue about facts and figures. What happened this? What happened that? All that kind of stuff. But nobody can argue with your story. It's your story. You experienced it. I can't come along and say, no, that didn't happen to you or no, you shouldn't feel that way. It's your story. That's why it's so powerful. When you tell your God story, it has power because it's your interacting with the living God. Okay. And I had this really cool aha moment the other day when I was when I was thinking about this and writing this. It all all of a sudden dawned on me that your story is not only what happened to you in the past, what happened, your story has a future. Your story includes the future. Don't let anybody take your future God story away from you by scaring you or by intimidating you or by saying, being a naysayer. Right? Don't let it happen. It's your story. God has this awesome thing worked out for you that was His plan. He wants to orchestrate it through your life. Don't let anybody Take that story away from you. Number four, when we experience setbacks and hardships in our lives, we can assume, A, that God has abandoned us and doesn't really care. Of course not. We can assume that belief in uh, whatever God is really just only to make us feel better, but it really isn't real. Of course not. Or we can assume that in some cases our struggles can and will be used by God to strengthen our character. Or we can assume that no matter what, God will be with us. Now, I did this on purpose because every test you take, remember back in college and in school, every test you take has there's one question where you just feel like strangling that teacher going, there needs to be an E. And there is an E because the answer to this is C and D. Okay, trick question. C and D. When it comes to setbacks and hardships in our lives, we can assume that in some cases, and not all cases, but in some cases, our struggles can and will be used by God to increase our level of character and our strength. So when something is happening to you that's negative, that's bad, um, God's not asking you to be all smiley and giddy about it. But God is asking you to go through it with him. And look for those ways in which he can strengthen your character through those hardships. And D is also true that no matter what, no matter what, God will remain with us. One of my favorite Psalms in all of Scripture is Psalm 139. And there's two words in here that I think are probably, uh, I can't defend this, but they're probably one of the two for me in any way, the most important words in the Bible. Okay, 
see if you can pick them out. I'll emphasize it to help. This is Psalm 139. Oh, Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know, when I sit and when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You're familiar with all my ways. Before a word was on my tongue, you knew it completely, O Lord. You hem me in behind and before, and you have laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you're there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there, your hand will guide me. Even there. For your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will be light to you because night will shine like the day for darkness is like light to you. Even there. On my happy days, on my sad days, in my triumphant times, in my struggling times, there is no place high enough, there's no place low enough, there's no place far enough that I can run away that He is not there. No matter what, period, God is with me. I've, uh, I've heard a sermon and then preached a couple of sermons about just those two words and that concept. And, and uh, within the context of that thinking, sometimes it's really, really encouraging to think that God is there, even there. There are other times that uh, when I'm maybe doing or thinking something I shouldn't, uh, that doesn't feel so good that God is always there. But no matter what, God is with us. We can never, never, never go someplace where he is not with us. Number five. In God's story of our lives, which is more important, the destination or the journey? Which one is it? The journey. Yeah, Jeff said this over and over again the other week. It's the journey. Okay, so God, in his plan for your life, both of those are very important. The destination, he knows he wants you there. He wants you to accomplish this in your life, in your spiritual walk. That's really, really important. But for him, it's really the journey that's even more important important. I have a really good friend, one of my best friends that, that I have currently. And uh, this guy has moved into a full-time ministry and in the last two or three years has uh, been convicted about some stuff and has really grown um, in his maturity and his leadership skills. Well, he, over the course of these three or four years, has really, really struggled in his adult life with control. And uh, that became apparent to him when he became closer and closer to uh, to God in his walk and very convicting to him. I need to get rid of I need to be freed up from this part of my life. And uh, uh, this wouldn't embarrass him if I tell him it's, he's really proud of this story of this part of his life. But um, I've been privileged to walk through him with that and alongside and to witness part of that. Well, the destination surely is very important. God wants him to end up on the other side, freed and have a whole new freedom of this not being controlling, not being controlled by being controlling. Right. And uh, so the destination is surely very important. But uh, it's been really a privilege for me to to witness that journey as he's communed more with God, as he's asked much more for wisdom, as he's surrounded himself with people and friends who are close to him, who can speak into him truth as he's opened himself up to 
um, things that just don't feel very good. And that journey has been powerful. And it's been a very, very cool thing to see. And so for us, God cares a whole lot about that journey because that's really important. All right. Number six. And uh, these next two are, are uh, this new stuff. So if you got it wrong, that's okay. The rest of the, the previous stuff was what Jeff has said over the last few weeks. Number six, the Bible says that God will give me anything I pray for. Therefore, I can expect my desires to be fulfilled. True or false? False. Yeah. God is not Santa Claus. Okay. I don't sit on God's lap and say, give me, give me, give me, give me. I want, I want, I want. And then expect to get it just because I want it. But why are there so many scriptures that are kind of confusing on this? Because there's a lot of scriptures that kind of sound like, hey, I should get what I asked for. Here's one. First John five fourteen. This is the confidence we have in approaching God that if we ask anything according to his will, he'll hear us. Kind of sounds like if I ask for it, I'll get it. Except we fail to finish out that that verse by paying attention to the part where it says, according to his will, he will hear us. So God doesn't have this this, uh, you know, here, here, here you are. Just give me your checklist and I'll grant it. OK, here's another one. Matthew seven. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will be open to you. For if anyone asks, you'll receive Anyone who, anyone who seeks finds and the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Kind of sounds like, hey, if I ask for it, I'll get it. Except when you read the context of this verse in the larger picture of chapter seven of Matthew, when it's talking more about opening up our hearts to him. If we ask for that, if we ask for wisdom, if we knock on the door of God's heart, he will open it. And the, the, the next verse says, or the next two or three verses say, Hey, it's kind of like if you were an earthly father, if I asked for a loaf of bread, my father wouldn't give me a snake. Meaning if I asked for something good, my father's not going to give me something harmful. If I asked for something, he's going to give me something good, whether or not it might be my version of what is good. Here's another one. John 14, 13 and 14. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the father may be glorified in the son. You may ask me for anything in my name and I'll do it. Kind of sounds like if I ask for it, I'll get it. But not really. It's wrong for us to really to treat God's promises as if it's a blanket guarantee of checklist, wish list kind of action. If I were God, I was uh, thinking about this and this, I guess this could be another Kevin, you're a moron story. But if I were God and uh, and I was to talk to him, I could just imagine God thinking or saying something like Kevin. And I haven't heard for you in forever. And the only time you talk to me is when you want something. And you always want something that I know better is going to harm you or is not going to be great for you. When's the last time you talked to me and you asked for wisdom or patience or asked for discernment or asked for me to postpone something until you your character was worked out or whatever? The only time you ask for something is when you want some wish list item. I want you just to commune with me. And uh, we'll just lead right into to uh, finish up that thought with number seven. I can expect powerful and miraculous things to occur through regular communication with God through prayer. True or false? 
Yeah, that's absolutely true. So the flip side of that uh, question before is that I can, when I commune with God, when I know him. Remember that verse that said, ask anything according to my will. Well, how do I know what God's will is? How do I know that? Does that sound like, okay, and part of that verse sounds like, hey, if I ask for it, I'll get it. The other part of that sounds like, hey, there's this condition that I have to ask according to your will or I'm not going to get it. How, how do I figure that out? Well, the way to figure it out is to don't do what I just said about the only time I talk to you is when I want something. Uh, sometimes uh, when I'm talking to our archery kids or if I'm in a group of kids and I'm trying to talk through this concept of knowing God, not just knowing about him, I'll give them this illustration. And I need to update my illustration because uh, I always I've always used um, Michael Jordan and I need to update it to like LeBron James or something, but or some you know movie star or something. But I'll say here's and this is fictional and kind of elementary, but uh, hang with me here. I'll say, hey, what if <clears throat> Michael Jordan, I don't even know where LeBron James lives, but I know Michael Jordan's Chicago. OK, so what if I found out somehow through sneaking around, I found out where Michael Jordan lives, his house. And uh, for some, I was able to like jump the fence and not get eaten by a dog or something. And I was able to knock on his door and say, and he answered because he was home. And he, and I said, Hey, Michael, let, let me come on in. Let's go swimming in your pool. And I want to eat stuff in your refrigerator and I want to pet your dog and, and let's hang out. Okay. What do you think would be my immediate future? All right. He'd call the guards, call the dogs. I'd be tossed out on the curb, right? And arrested, trespassing. Okay, so what if then, for some reason, I won a contest and it was a weekend with Michael Jordan at your house. And he was, he came to my house and he said, and, and I said, hey, here's stuff in the fridge. Let's go for, let's go down the river and go canoeing. And then uh, let's hang out and let's shoot some hoops in the backyard. And we had a weekend together and we got to know each other. Then the next time, I knocked on Michael Jordan's door and said, hey, what then would be the answer? Come on in, Kevin. I know you. Let's hang out. Okay. Silly illustration. I know. But the the point is, if I don't know God, it's hard for me to ask according to his will because I don't know his will because I don't talk to him and I don't know him. Okay. So if I want my prayers to be answered, they're always going to be answered. But if I want them to be answered according to kind of what I'm thinking about him, it would behoove me to get to know him. And the answer to that question, how do I ask according to his will is to get to know him. It's by not doing what I said before. It's by turning the radio off when you're in a car and talking to him out loud so that people going past you think you're crazy. It's by reading your Bible It's by praying and talking to him like he's a father. It's by hanging out with people who honor him. It's by going to small groups and thinking about uh, just how he can improve your life. It's by living with him seven days a week, not just one day and one hour on a Sunday morning. I have my Kenyan friend, uh, Solomon, uh, and his wife, Alice. You know, I, I grew up, many of you know, I grew up in Kenya. I've spent a lot of time in the third world in sub-Saharan Africa. And I have many, many close friends in Kenya and other places. And I've spent a lot of time 
just being friends, praying together, laughing together, crying together, recreating together. And I hardly ever hear one of those people, no matter what their living conditions are, no matter where they are in their I never, ever, ever hear one of those people pray a wish list. Give me, give me, give me. This is a trap that, that we here in 21st century America have fallen into. We have everything we could possibly want. If I want it, I go get it. And I can get it immediately. And I have the means to do it. And I think by doing that, we've, we come to expect that, boy, if God loves me, He'll give it to me. And you, you, you spend any time in a country or a culture other than ours, and you'll find out quickly that that is not an attitude that most people around our, no, most Christians around our world have. Uh, my friend Titus, I'll come back to Solomon, but my friend Titus Matinda is an athlete, triathlete, and he's come to our house and lived with us, and we've been to his home. And uh, he and his wife, when I first met Titus, he and his wife and three children lived in a one room wasn't a home. It was like a row of rooms that people lived in. And it, it, it was no bigger than this little area right here. OK, there was a bed in there. There was a dresser that had an oil lamp on it. There was a pile of clothes for mom and dad. And there was a pile of clothes for all the kids. And that's it. Cement floor, concrete walls. OK, as I walked out of there, you know, I, was, I walked into the house. We talked and talked and talked a little bit. And I was walking back out. For the first time I saw pinned up or taped onto the concrete wall right by the door jam was a picture torn out of a magazine. And it was a picture of a couch. And I said, Titus, what's up with the picture of a couch? And he said, well, we've been married for uh, 10 years. And um, we've just, it's not that big a deal. We don't, you know, but my wife and I have always dreamed about having a couch. And that picture, you could tell, was all weathered and yellowed. And you, picked it, you could tell it had been taped up or pinned on that wall for years. We've always dreamed about having a couch. Well, you hear Titus and his wife pray. And it is a beautiful thing. Filled with praise, filled with adoration, filled with thanksgiving. No mention about, God, give me a couch. God, give me two rooms. God, give me a car. You never hear that. But it seems like when I pray or when I hang around my American friends, give me, give me, give me, give me. I want, I want, I want, I want. And I've been convicted of that over the years. My friend Solomon, back to Solomon and his wife Alice, um, we've been, you know, he is in my top five of most influential men in my life. And you hear those people pray, Solomon and Alice. I'd love to hear them pray. It's, a, it's like listening to, I don't even know what to compare it to. It's like listening to like an operatic sing-song celebration. And it's so beautiful. And their prayer is, Jesus, thank you for what you've done in our life. Thank you for you living in me. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. And uh, not give me, give me, give me, give me. But we can expect powerful and awesome, miraculous things from God through prayer when we commune with Him regularly. That's the key there. When we commune with Him regularly, when we get to know Him. Finally, number eight, 
another trap that we fall into. And this was, there was some fill in the blank here. There's no question, there's no answer. This was a fill in the blank. You had a test and now you have homework. Your homework is to take this home and ponder through filling in those blanks. And the question is, as 21st century Americans, we struggle with expecting comfort. How can you make some changes in your daily expectations, keeping in mind the following message from Paul? So this is Paul in Philippians 4.12. I know what it is to be in need. Remember, he was imprisoned multiple times. He was in a shipwreck. He was beaten. Okay, so he knows firsthand. And I know what it's like to have plenty. There were times in his life where he was a fairly wealthy guy. He was a tent maker. And I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living or in plenty, whether in want or not in want. I know the secret. I've learned the secret of contentment. And we here in America in the 21st century really, really, really struggle with that. Uh, we were uh, driving through with my friend, um, driving to an archery event, <clears throat> and we pulled through Wendy's and ordered in Wendy's. And uh, drove off out of Wendy's and there was something wrong with the order. Small fry versus medium fry. There was a tomato or not tomato. I can't remember what. But <clears throat> something wrong with the order. And the first reaction was, man, ugh, we got to go back. Stupid Wendy's didn't get my order right. Okay. Then I had to stop and think. Okay, what is it? And I'm asking myself this. What is it about this situation that gives me the right Okay, here's the deal. I live in a culture. I'm kind of a little bit hungry. Not really hungry. I'm kind of a little bit hungry. I can pull into this place. I don't even have to get out of my car. I pull up to this window and I give this person eh, a couple bucks. Pocket change. In like three seconds, that person gives me food that I did not have to catch. I did not have to clean. I did not have to grow. I did not have to prepare. And it's yummy. And I can drive off happy and healthy and this is great. Okay, except there's no stupid tomato on the sandwich. What gives me the right to be discontent in that situation? <laughs> we struggle with that here in, in 21st century American life and our culture. And so the question your homework is, what changes can I make in my daily routine? And it could be very, very simple. Sandwich. It could be really, really big, like my health is not what I expected it to be. Back in the beginning, you read through the creation story when you get home. What's the way, what was the tool or the, uh, I don't know, what was the trick that Satan used to attack humanity? If he, he had one chance and he said, I'm going to, to trip these guys up. I'm going to turn them away from God and I'm going to torment human history from this point on with sin. What was it that he chose as a tool to do that? He attacked our discontent. And he said, hey, look at all these trees and all this fruit you have. But you don't have that one. You should not be satisfied until you get that one. And forevermore... We struggle with sin in our lives and we struggle to have to get back to a relationship with the God that created us because of discontent. So that's your homework. Fill that thing out. Stick it up.
work on it. Okay, let's pray. Jesus, we thank you this morning for allowing us to spend some time with you. Uh, You're an awesome God. I love sitting on your lap and just learning from you. And so we pray that you would guide us through the rest of the day, through this week. Help us to just kind of reflect on your word this morning. And uh, boy, I just uh, praise you and thank you for this group of people, my friends, my family here at Grace Chapel. Um, It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Hey, happy Sunday.